Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. I will say this too, the worship team did a great job today, but my favorite part of worship, I don't know if y'all heard it, but that little child singing Reckless Love, oh my gosh, it was amazing. Oh, okay. All right, back on track. Yeah. Um, Okay, so here are a couple of quick little things before I preach. Um, Some of you, I I think everybody in their bulletin had a Next Steps card, which is actually for every one of you. And um, we just want you to consider uh, through the service what your next step as a church member is. So check it off on this card, take it home as an encouragement, or you can place it on the the stage as a commitment. It's just inviting you uh, further into ministry, into something that perhaps you've been waiting to do. So there you go. Um, And then at the end of the service, this is a little different. We will, I'll have a brief uh, kind of informational announcement about the day school, just, you know, letting you know some of, some of the things as they've developed there. And then we will do, have a brief congregational meeting. It's only going to take about five minutes, so I'm not going to release you to get your children because by the time you get there and get back, we could have done the congregational meeting, and you could be at home already eating your lunch. So it'll be brief, okay? All right, having said that, Um, Thank you for coming out uh, for the last few weeks. Mark and I have been doing a uh, a mini-sermon series that's called The Things We Leave Behind. He alluded to it just a moment ago. It's out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll read that for you again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. We've been acknowledging that this Christian life for us, it's a race. God has called us to run a race for Jesus and a race with Jesus Christ. And just so you know, this race The race of faith that the church is called to run, it involves two things. One is the great commission of Jesus Christ. We have been called on mission with Jesus to make Jesus known all over the world. That is the reason why the church is still on the earth. But but the second part of it is also living out this greatest command everywhere we go, no matter who we're with, and this, this greatest commandment is to love God with all that we are, and then just turn and love the world with that love. So that's what this race is all about, and it's awesome, but we've got to realize for us to really go the distance and run this race... We as Christians have got to, just like the passage says, we've got to get rid of some things that are heavy weights in our lives. There are some things that emotionally and spiritually weigh us down, and we want to run light. We want to be able to really go with Jesus. And so Mark and I have talked to you about a couple of those. We did one sermon. Mark did it on shame. Still one of my favorite sermons I've heard in a long time. Amazing message about getting rid of shame in our lives. And then last week, I talked about shedding offense. Now, today we're going to talk about, this is the third one, and and I'll angle this for you guys on the side. The third thing we're going to talk about getting rid of today is, and this is so heavy, unforgiveness, okay? But let me just tell you this. When we talk about unforgiveness today, 
we are going to look at it from a very different angle than typically you would, you know, you, you hear that and you think, oh, I know what we're going to talk about. This is going to be from a very, very different angle. So, um, but it's, it is a great topic for a communion Sunday. So let the Lord prepare you for the Lord's Supper as we dive into a message about unforgiveness and forgiveness in our lives, okay? Let me pray. God, we love you. And Lord, we love everything about you. It's, you know, we, we are like, uh, God, just, just like the writer of First of, uh, John who says that, oh, he's looked you over from every angle and touched and seen and heard everything that you are, Lord. And God, we love you from every angle. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for this incredible work of salvation that begins when we say yes to Jesus and it continues as we walk with you. And so, Lord, today we, we uh, just rejoice in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I pray that, Lord, as we get to the end of this message, if we, if we haven't realized it lately, or we've never fully appreciated it before, that, Lord, we, we would just find ourselves so underneath that spout of your grace, your mercy, and your cleansing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, you don't know this about me because I've never shared it, but I have always been fascinated by cliches and culture. Um, when I say cliches, I mean all of those little sayings, they pop up in this generation and that generation, and everybody latches on to them. I, it, to me, it's just fun to hear the phrase that everybody identifies and run with, runs with. But the thing is, the older I get, the more I realize that most of our cliches are absolutely not true. Fun to say, but really not true. I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Here's one. Um, the pen is mightier than the sword. Okay. But still, if my life is on the line, I am going to hide behind Zorro and not William Shakespeare. Okay? Seriously. Straight up. Um, here's another one. You can do anything you set your mind to. No amount of mental determination is ever going to make Steve Keller a center in the NBA or the NFL. It'll never happen. It doesn't matter how much I set my mind to it. Um, here's another one. Slow and steady wins the race. Now, that one is true if you're the only runner in the race. Think about it. All right? Here's another one everyone's heard. <laughs> Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I saw that again this week, and the first thought that came to my head was, whoever wrote that did not go to my junior high school. Seriously, okay? And listen, there, there is some truth to, to every one of those cliches. There's a point, but literally none of them are even close to true. Um, now, I, I say all that because there is a new one out there these days. It's all over the place. It's on T-shirts. I've heard it said in all the, you know, all the hip latest shows. I saw it on a billboard even. And um, it sounds good, but this is one from the outset, handle this one with care. Now, here it is. It's whenever somebody says, I am going to live my truth. All right. That is a great idea if your truth is King David's truth. Now, here's what King David said about truth. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. If that truth is your truth, live your truth. 
You've chosen wisely. You're not going to be disappointed. And by the way, Jesus says that to us in John 8, 31 and 32. Do you remember that? Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free, absolutely. But honestly, if your truth is not God's truth, sooner or later your life is going to go off the rails. It really will. Um, An example I thought of this week is like in the old timeless classic, the old movie classic, which, by the way, everybody has now seen, everybody, because Mark Santum watched it for the first time this Christmas And it's the story, A Wonderful Life by George Bailey. Now, consider this for a moment. Who likes it? Yes. Yes! Great movie. Now, I know what the rest of you are thinking when you heard Wonderful Life with George Bailey. Your thought was this. George Bailey, what does he want? Mary Sam Wainwright promised to come. I know that's what you're thinking. But listen, here's, here's A Wonderful Life in a nutshell. It is the story of a man named George Bailey who admittedly has the worst day of all time. Let me run through his day with you, okay? To start off with, fairly early on, Uncle Billy loses the $8,000 deposit, which is all the money that they have in the savings and loan, okay? Mr. Potter has the money, but he still swears out an arrest warrant for George Bailey. Now, George has already fallen apart. The day is as bad as it it needs to be at this point. Stop here. But what happens? George goes home. He tries his best to talk to Mary about what's going on. But you got little Tommy who keeps saying, excuse me, every two seconds because he burped five minutes ago. You've got Janie who won't stop playing the piano. Zuzu is upstairs, right? You remember poor little Zuzu. She's got a cold, right? She came home sick, and to make matters worse for Zuzu, petals are falling off her roses. Uh, Her teacher, Miss Welch, calls just to check on Zuzu being a good teacher, but George has blamed Miss Welch for her cold, so he yells at Miss Welch, and then Mary reacts against George, so George runs out of the house without a coat on, All right? I I know. I I feel the tension, too. I can see it on your faces. So George runs out of the house without a coat, runs into Nick's bar, and gets loaded. And then Mr. Welch slugs George. So George runs out of there, jumps in his rattle trap car, goes driving through the snow, you know, half lit up. And then he runs into the oldest tree in Bedford Falls. And all of this here is too much for George Bailey. So finally, he decides, I've had enough, and he goes onto the local bridge where he's decided to take his life. Why did I talk to you about all this? Because this is a prime example of a man who, in this moment, he is living his truth. And George's truth is that after years of scraping by and trying to help people and be a stand-up guy and do the right thing, finally, the seams have just come apart. Everything is messed up. Nothing will ever be right anymore, and life is not worth living anymore. And so George decides that, uh, you know, hey, here he is. Um, It's all over. He's given up, and he's on the brink of suicide. Now, the second half of the movie, thank God, is much more cheerful, Uh, but it's where George discovers a greater truth than his truth. 
And the greater truth for George in the movie is that he is married to a beautiful, adoring wife who thinks the world of him. He has got some incredible children. When it comes to the town, the community he lives in, everybody loves George. Except for Mr. Potter and his scurvy little spider sidekick, you know. And that goes for you too, you know. I mean, those are the only two that don't love George. And, and, And George also sees that he has made a huge impact on his community. In fact, the name wouldn't even be Bedford Falls. It would be Pottersville without George. He's made a difference. And, of course, in the very end, everybody gives their last penny to rescue George. And so George discovers that his truth is a lie and that there is a greater truth in his life and it's that he has a wonderful life. Now, I say all that because we have all been George Bailey at some point in the first half of the movie. Please, somebody besides me, have you ever felt like George Bailey? Yes, you have. Maybe you did last week. But listen, it's just we felt like that. You know where we've hoped for the best. We've planned for the best. We've prayed for the best. We've tried our best, and yet everything just still comes apart at the seams. Everything just seems to fall apart no matter how good our intentions were. And, you know, we can handle that kind of thing if that's like one day out of seven days. But, but, But what about when that turns into a week of your life or a month of your life or or a whole season of your life? Well, you all know because you've been in the movie like I have before. You know, it's very tempting in times like that to begin to believe some very dark things about yourself, some very dark things about your life. It's, it's also very tempting to kind of give up on some things that you have held to be true about God and, and His Word and this, this abundant life. And if that goes on for too long in our lives, if that stays unchecked and we're stuck in that place, spiritually, we, we can be very much like George Bailey on the bridge. We can just get to the point where, you know, we just kind of want to throw in the towel. And then the scary thing about church people, you know, Christians, is so often we can do that and we can keep up the religious activity. You know, we can show up and kind of, hey, look the part and, and, and sing our part and all of that. But inside, we begin to die inside. Or we begin to kind of give up. That can become our truth. You may be wondering at this point in the service, in the sermon, what in the world does any of that have to do with unforgiveness? I want you to know that has a whole lot to do with unforgiveness, actually. Because listen, for every one of us, for every one of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ, our life, even on our worst days or in our worst seasons, we have a greater truth. And the greater truth is that our life is actually a wonderful life. If you are here and you are struggling right now, like I described, hear me. You actually have a wonderful life. And the reason I tell you that is because no matter how dark or scary or hard things are right now, you are forgiven. You are a forgiven person. Every one of us who is a Christian, think about this. We no longer have a death sentence of sin hanging over our heads. 
Do you realize that? I've looked back on my life before and thought, oh, everything's terrible, and looked back and realized, you know what? I don't have that over my head anymore. We are no longer strangers to God. If you are a believer, you are not an enemy of God any longer. You're you're not eternally lost. You're not spiritually an orphan. Every one of you, hear me on a communion Sunday with the cross right back there and the echoes of our worship. You are God's beloved. Every one of you. You are all children of God. We are God's family. We are members of God's household. You're rescued. You're saved. You're never, ever truly alone. And so so for us as, as God's children, even on our darkest days... You know, our worst, I'll put it this way, our worst day with Jesus Christ is better than our best day without him. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. Yes. And listen, I encourage you to make that your truth. Make that your truth and live that truth. Even on those days when you feel like Charlie Brown, you know, after he gets knocked off the mound again with some big hit. When you're coming off the mound, you feel like there's a rain cloud pouring on your head. Make this your truth. Call to mind what God has done through you, uh, God done in you through Jesus Christ. Look back at who you were before Jesus stepped into your life. Look back at how you were before the love of God was there and salvation was yours. And look at who you are now. You are not who you were. You are beautiful. You're a work in progress. That is your truth. Realize that because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, every one of us has a greater truth. Just like George Bailey, folks, as a Christian, you have a wonderful life. Now, it's a great thing to remember, but we lose that sometimes, don't we? We forget that. I mean, we've all forgotten that before. So how do we hold on to that mindset? You know, how do we stay positioned just like this, Lord, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm right underneath just all of your love, your mercy, your grace. How do we hold on to that in this life? Well, one way that we do biblically, and this is all over Scripture, is to then live a life of forgiveness, You want to hold on to forgiveness, live a life of forgiveness to people who hurt you. And listen, that's more than just a good suggestion from Steve Keller. It's actually a biblical command from God himself. Listen to this. Jesus says to us in Mark 11, 25, he says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. It actually falls right in line with what we all know to be true in the wording of the Lord's Prayer. Now, we haven't said the Lord's Prayer in a while, so we're actually going to say that right now as a congregation. And listen, we're going to go old school with the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go King James Version, okay, just to capture the beauty of this. Now, I I will warn you, I'm going to stop us right in the middle of it. I'll do a brief pause, and then we'll continue. So let's do this together. I think we, yes, we got it on the screen there. Here we go. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Stop. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you get that? Did you hear that? Okay, did I hear that? You should have because I paused right there. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive them. I don't know if you've ever realized this about the Lord's Prayer, but that is actually the very heart of the Lord's Prayer, and that is the burning point of the Lord's Prayer. And you might be wondering, well, Steve, there are a lot of words in there. Why do you pick the forgiveness part as the, as the burning center of it? Because of the two verses that follow the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And there's a meaning here, and I'm, I'm going I'm to offer this to you, and you can think about this one. But I believe that sometimes, and the word sometimes is important, sometimes in our lives when we feel chronically defeated, sometimes when, when we feel diseased emotionally, mentally, maybe even physically, Sometimes the source of the problem is that we have failed to forgive as God has forgiven us. I think it also applies to sin. You know, there's, there's a sin in my life that I can't get free of no matter how hard I try. I think sometimes it can be tied toward uh, uh, unforgiveness, that by refusing to forgive someone, we have stepped out of God's forgiveness and the benefits and the healing and the wholeness of that. And, and by the way, I'll say this again. I am not suggesting that every struggle in your life is tied to unforgiveness. Like, oh, you got a struggle that means you haven't forgiven. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes that, that can be true. And that's why Jesus says to us in Luke 6.37, he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. This is, this is why Paul says to us in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Again, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is why Jesus also takes the expiration date off of forgiveness and, uh, you know, the, the, the count off of forgiveness. You remember Peter walks up to Jesus one day. Jesus has been preaching about forgiveness. Peter comes up and he goes, hey, Jesus, listen, I really love this forgiveness teaching, you know. This is really impactful. Sign me up for the forgiveness club, okay. I'm in. And listen, you know, it seems like what you're saying is that, you know, we need to go even beyond the three strikes and you're out rule. So, Jesus, I am here to forgive. How about seven times as just a good standard of forgiveness? We all remember what Jesus says back to Peter. He says, Peter, you're not even close. You're not even close. It's more like 70 times seven. And what Jesus is simply saying is, is what we've been reiterating all the way through this is we want to always remain in the sweet spot of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. You know, as Christians, we don't ever want to be like the unmerciful servant, which is just the most fantastic story in Scripture, uh, you know, just, just of hypocrisy and, and ungratefulness. But we all, we all, I know we all remember this one as well, but this servant owns, owes a tremendous debt to the king. It's so much money. If he had 70 times seven lifetimes, he could never pay this off. And he comes before the king. And he's in a whole lot of trouble. And the end is near. And it's, it's, it's jail for him and his wife and his children, debtor's prison. What does he do? 
he falls on his knees before the king and he begs forgiveness. And the king amazingly wipes the books clean. He forgives all the man's debt. So here's a guy, you know, he's coming in like this, you know, so weighed down. I mean, he's going out, you know, I mean, he just, whatever, whatever dance moves going on, he ought to be doing it. Dancing, skipping, yelling, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. But then he spots a fellow servant who owes him pocket change. And this man who has received incredible mercy, he demands justice over a few dollars. We don't ever want to be in that place. We want to live this greater truth that we are forgiven. And because we are forgiven, therefore we have forgiveness to give. I'll end with this and then I'll, I'll uh, invite Neil and the choir up. I know when we talk about forgiveness as well, um, sometimes it is hard to forgive. Really hard. Because what happened to us was bad. It was really bad. As we come to communion this morning, I just want to remind you of a great spiritual truth. And it is that the cross of Jesus Christ is bigger than anything that ever happened to you in the past. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is big enough to overcome anything that's happened in your past. I'll tell you one more thing about the commands of Jesus. This is a little nugget that hit me a long time ago, but it changed my life when I learned it. And it's whenever Jesus commands us a thing, and look, look at this in Scripture, whenever Jesus commands us to do a thing, He's always offering us the very thing that He's commanding us to do. Is that confusing enough for you? Here you go. Here's what I mean. When Jesus says to love, when He says love your enemies, love one another, He has loved us with the love of the cross. We are in a love relationship with him. When he tells us to love, he's literally saying, here is my love, take it and love with it. You know, when Jesus tells us to be holy, he is saying, here is holiness, take this holiness and live it. Oh, and by the way, you've also got the help of the Holy Spirit to be holy. The same is true with forgiveness. When Jesus tells us to forgive, look at what he's done for us already. He's already set the example. But he is extending forgiveness to us, by the way, with nail-scarred hands telling us to forgive. And, and those scars are, are just reminders of the greatest forgiveness that was ever poured out ever on humanity, but on every one of us as individuals. The greater truth, forgiveness. May we live in it, swim in it, dance in it, go to sleep in it, wake up in it, move about in it, and just show it to the world. This is who we are. This is who we are. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.